I'm Daniel Wordsworth. I've led humanitarian relief efforts in just about every disaster, natural and man-made, for the last 30 years. Smuggled into North Afghanistan in a helicopter after 9-11, made the overland route to Kyiv in the early days of the Ukraine invasion, and I led an emergency team into Sri Lanka after the East Asia tsunami. Across all continents, I've seen the worst of humanity. Terrible tragedy in places like Darfur, Congo, and Somalia. Horrors even worse than you can imagine. I've been in wars, famines, and epidemics. But here's the thing. Having experienced and seen all of this, I believe the world is abundant. As humans, we can make a difference. And I know, not believe, I know that humans are good. The way you see the world is how the world will show up for you. And in this podcast, I'll explain why. We'll talk to leaders, people making a difference, and we'll discuss the issues that impact us as they happen. Thanks, Daniel. Now you know all about Daniel. My name's Fitz. I'm your tour guide through the world of reluctant optimism, as Daniel calls it. If you're new to the podcast, thanks for choosing to listen and thanks for listening so far as well. Please follow along on Spotify or Apple, follow Daniel on the socials, and feel free to ask us a question anytime on the website, danielwordsworth.com. I want to talk about refugees today and the term global refugee crisis. Right. Is there a global refugee crisis? Almost everything people think about refugees is wrong. And I'm going to start with this one. There is no global refugee crisis, none. There hasn't been one for as long as that I've been doing this work for 25 years. There is no global refugee crisis. What there is is a crisis for the world or the globe's refugees. It sucks to be a refugee right now. Yep. But this is not a crisis that we're experiencing. It's a crisis they're experiencing. And I got the numbers to prove it. Talk to me more about that. What, what, what do you mean? Yeah, we, we get this. When you bring up refugees and, and you know, you... The way I think about it is that people assume, you know, the face of the monk painting, you know, the scream? Yes. Edward Munch. You know, when, pe- yeah. when people bring up refugees or the movement of people, people fleeing conflict, we get this look, you know, we're filled. And I think it ties back to the concept of scarcity. That's why I think these three questions are key. Is there enough? Is the world abundant or scarce? Is it essentially a question about is there enough in the world for everybody? And then secondly, are people good or not? And is there things we can do? If you think there's not enough in the world, then we're in a constant battle, pitched battle for resources, for space, for houses, for all these things. And therefore, a refugee poses a threat to you. And if you think that people aren't good, you then begin asking the question, and who are these people anyway that are crossing over from these places? And thirdly, as a society, we can do nothing. We're overwhelmed by this. We're all useless. Yeah, we're without agency. None of that stuff is true. So I, I, I mean, one way to think about it, one way to dispel this myth is to, is to look at some of the numbers. I'm going to choose the year 2018 because that's a year where we have, in a sense, the full cycle and it's pre-COVID, so it's not affected by the, the closing of borders around uh, COVID. 2018 was a big year. Uh, for movements of people around the world. It's the Ebola had been happening, Syria had been happening, uh, a lot of movement across the Mediterranean, so a lot of people movement. 
In 2018, there were 20... So the world's population, about 7.6 billion. Mm -hmm. This is also the problem with numbers, right? When we hear 7.6 billion, our mind just goes neutral, neutral. You know, all the gears unclick and we're just... Uh, when we hear the number 2,000, we freak out and panic, right? One billion has no impact on us. Yeah. It's like when I it's launched a, one, one billion hectares, I'm like, we can do that. Turns out it's the size of China. <laughs> yeah, shock. <laughs> but uh, still doable, but shock. Yep. So one. So we go seven billion people in the world. Uh, so at that, but at that time, there's twenty million refugees. How do you become a refugee? Yep. I know many refugees, thousands of them from all different places. I've never met one said, I just hated where I lived, I just hated my community, I hated the people around me, I just decided that I would just risk my life, my family's life, cross oceans, walk for two... Like I said in a previous podcast, the average duration that refugees move is around two weeks. Yep. If you say, how do I know that? There's research on that. But actually, during big, large-scale people movements, in particular crises, the UN tracks it. Mm. So you know the average daily movement of refugees around the world. For example, the refugees going from Syria into Germany, we would get a report on that. The average length of time that took was two weeks to do it. Now, 20 million people, what does it mean to be a refugee? First of all, it's a test you have to pass. There's no such thing as little r refugees. Being a refugee is a status that the international community gives you. The United Nations has a process that they take you through, that you apply for refugee status. And it's a difficult process to get through. It takes months. Actually, the UN will often call back from where you come from that actually validate a lot of the stuff that you put in your family history. I know it sounds crazy. Really? Yes. It's a really difficult process to be classified it's as like a refugee. It's a job interview. It's harder than a job interview. Key point that I would make, it's hard to be designated a refugee. You have to have fled because of immediate and real fear for your life based on your ethnicity, based on your race, based on your gender, based on some level of persecution. Or if, you're, if your community and the region that you're living in is imploding in conflict and war and that conflict and war is such that you and your family are immediately threatened, your life is at risk, you have to prove that fact to be called a refugee. So 20 million people are experiencing that at any moment of time. They were in 2018. It's not 20 million new refugees. That's 20 million people that have accumulated over the previous years that have been granted the refugee status. Of that 20 million, what the UN also does is they, they have a group that they designate particularly at risk. Now, those people are... Um, they could be orphans. They could be disabled people. They could be people because of their race, gender or identity that are immediately at risk with other refugees. For example, they could be LGBTQ. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So within the 20 million, the UN has a system for identifying the ones that are really struggling. So out of that 20 million, that number is 1.4 million in 2018. Then what the UN tries to do is they try to place those 1.4 million in countries like Australia, Canada, France, etc., the other, you say, what happens to the others? Well, they're largely living in refugee camps or they're living in people's houses. Like, that's what happens to them. They, mm. they, if they're Somali, they cross over to the Dadaab refugee camp, population 400,000. 
They're Rohingya. They go to the Kutapalong refugee camp, population 500,000. I've mentioned already uh, the Nakavali refugee camp that has 100,000 people in it. These camps like this are enormous. I've worked in six refugee camps in Rwanda, typical population, 15,000 or so people in them. Yeah. But so 20 million, 1.4 million though, life sucks. Right, 20 million life sucks. Yeah. But these are the ones that the rest of the 20 million go, oh, no, your life really sucks. The, yep. the marginalised of They're the marginalised. totally the marginalised of the marginalised. Then the UN tries to place these people. So in the year 2018, not of the 20 million, of the 1.4 million, this is, by the way, the year 2018 was when we were all talking about the global refugee crisis. Yeah. How many of those do you think got placed of the 1.4 million? Desperate, orphans the disabled, mothers with kids with no other possibility, uh, trans, lesbian refugees that are non-gender conforming. And when you say placed, you mean... Sent accepted, to Canada, accepted, accepted by Accepted by a country. Does that include being put into like a, a Nauru? Or does that mean no, integrated that into society? coming into Australian society. Well, it's not going to be a big number. 20,000? It's... it's oh, damn. How did you guys say? He's, got, he's even more cynical than me. Let's come back to answer that question. <laughs> Any reasonable person says, let's, let's say a couple of hundred thousand, the number of people that were resettled out of the 1.4 million is 80,000 people. Oh, so I was, I was not far off. Off. 80,400 people. Population of the world, 7.6 billion. The number of refugees, 20 million. The number of refugees that are identified because they need, need, need help, 1.4 million. How many of those actually came to our countries? The people that talk about the refugee crisis, 80,000. That's astounding. There is no refugee crisis. There is a crisis for that 1.4 million refugees. I'm fascinated by refugee camps. You talk about them a lot. You just mentioned one with half a million people in it. You also mentioned one in the first episode that had been around since 1958. Is that the world's oldest refugee camp? Uh, I, no, I think there are some in Palestine, Palestinian camps that are old. Right. What does a refugee camp look like? How does it operate? Is there infrastructure? Is there sewage? Are there shops? Are they living in tents? Because in my head it looks like a, the, the photos I saw in the videos I saw in the 80s of the, the shanty towns outside of Johannesburg. Yeah. Is that what a refugee camp looks like or are they all different? They all look different. But there's a, there's a classic Mahama refugee camp in Rwanda and when you see that picture, that's what you think a refugee camp is, right? So that picture is of a broad expanse. It's about 25,000 people and it's, they're all living in tents. So often when we think of an African refugee camp, we think of a big open plain and we think of lines of tents. Yeah. They, they exist. There's a picture I've got of Mahama camp. The Mahama camp was made of Burundian refugees. Yep, they're fleeing uh, political violence and election violence in Burundi. Before I talk about how a camp gets made, I, I would say this. How long do you, how long do you think, and you, you're going to say, you know, you're going to give me the answer like the 23rd. The cynical answer, answer yeah. <laughs> you're gonna, the world's good. <laughs> I've got to remember who I'm talking <laughs> to. The world's yeah. good. Okay. So I think most people think that the refugee experience is like a, like a U-shape, right? It's meaning there's a lot of people that become a refugee for a few weeks, maybe a few months. I think most people would think the refugee 
And I've asked a lot of people, they go, it's maybe six months. Yeah, you go away and come back. And then you, you, you leave your country, you leave your home, you go to the camp, you live in this camp, because these camps are in the middle of nowhere, mm. right? Uh, I live there six months and then I go to Canada. Life's great. Or I go back home and I start rebuilding. Or the country that I'm in, Rwanda or Uganda, they welcome me with open arms. Yeah. But I'm only in this camp in the middle of nowhere, dusty, on a road, an hour off the main road, deep into somewhere, because no one puts refugees in the land that they want. Countries put refugees on the land they don't want. Yep. And so you think six months, and then you think there's the Palestinians who have been there since, what, the 1947 or so? Yeah, mm-hmm. so that's so that's like the two. You're either great-grandparents were refugees or you're going to be out in six months. This is not the, this is not the way it works. Right. It's a reverse you. If you're a refugee and you enter a refugee camp, the truth is it's like the, what, Hotel California. You can get in there. It's mm-hmm. almost impossible to get out. The, um, the average duration in a refugee camp right now is around 15 years. Oh, my God. That's just because people started counting 15 years ago. So there are, there are children that enter as babies and are there in their 20s? Yeah. I, I, yeah, I know many that are exactly that. They went there as a baby. I know many that were born in the refugee camp. In the cities. Yeah. No, they are, they are like, in the end, they become cities. Half a million, 100,000, 15,000, 35,000. So if you, so what happens is, but no one wants to admit this because it's a terrible thing to say to a person. A person has walked two weeks, they're carrying their child, they've gone through, honestly, horror, horror. They want to be welcomed. They want to be remembered as worthy human beings, not shunned. They want to be looked after and be shown hospitality and they always dream of the moment when they'll go back home. It's called a suitcase syndrome. Refugees all have suitcases at the door. They're like, no, no, I'm any moment now I'm going back. Mm. Yeah. It's a suitcase syndrome. And instead what they, they end up being there forever. And so what happens, so how do you create a refugee camp? We would be called up. So in the case of this one in Mahama, because now it, look, it looks very different from the tents, we got a call from the UN and the UN says there's an election happening in a few months' time and we believe there'll be election violence. This will cause large-scale displacement of people. We're expecting an inflow of fifty to 75,000 people with an initial inflow of 25,000 people and we expect them in six weeks. So what we would like the first 25,000 in six weeks, then going and escalating over a three-month period up to 75,000. So they say... Here is land. The country of Rwanda has given you this land. The case of Mahama, it's right on the border of Tanzania and Rwanda. And they say, there is this open stretch of land. Create a city that has to be able to grow to 75,000 and of which the first 25,000 are going to come by bus in six weeks. This is real. And so the teams go out there and they all stand there and then they say, okay, well... What are we going to do? And so you, you create grid references, you map the whole thing out, but then you begin just doing the math. 25,000 people, average household, five. This means there's 5,000 households. So in the initial take, we need to have 5,000 tents put up. Those tents need to have this many toilets. There's all these rules, right? Yeah. So for every this number of families, they have to have one toilet, one shower facility, one garbage facility. For every 1,000 or so students, there has to be a primary school, there has to be a high school. And so I think, when, again, when people think you're creating a refugee camp because we think they're only six months long, we don't realise that you're building primary schools. Yeah, right. 
You're building a high school. And you build it at the are there shops, is there a so then value you have exchange to, no, system? Then you have to create a marketplace in the middle. Yeah. You have to create opportunity for people to open shops. You have to create a telco facility. So you've got to have satellite. You've got to be able to bring in mobile telephones. You have to be able to deliver an entire water system and a wastewater system underneath the ground before you um, put things down. You have to actually go out in advance and find forests and trees that you can cut and you then pile. If you go to an early refugee camp, there'll be a whole section of it that is just mountains of firewood waiting for families to arrive because the first groups come into tents and they need fires to create food and mm. boil their water so that they stay healthy. And so you madly for six weeks go about building this entire city made of tents and then people start arriving um, by bus and then you move them in. And then what you do is you begin making everything more permanent. So you then go from block to block to block, you pull the tent down and you create mud, essentially two or three room mud dwellings. Right. And so slowly you see this tent city browns out, you know, as it just becomes this enormous um, yeah. brown mud um, city. So Mahama now has a population, I think, of about 75,000. It grew to that number. Yeah. And uh, we built that whole thing. And water, schools, marketplaces, and people will live there most of their lives. And is there is there a, like a mayor? Like who runs the town? Is there a yeah. boss of the town? The UN will put in somebody. The government puts in somebody. And, and there's a representative the, of the people? And then the people, they elect representatives from all these different neighbourhoods and then they elect a person and then that three work to oversee how the camp runs. What's the biggest crisis within refugee camps at the moment? What's the biggest issue? Uh, so I imagine theft is not a problem. No, young people just have no... They have not because they have no belongings, do? right? What are you going to do? They don't have real jobs. They don't have any real... If they're not given permission to work in a country, mm. that's the key question for most refugees. Do I have permission to work here? I can live in the refugee camp, but can I work? Can I get in a bus and drive to the local town and drive a taxi or something like that? Can I work here? Many countries you can't. Uganda is a remarkable country because it gives refugees the ability to work. It has around 2.5 million refugees living in Uganda. Also, by the way, people eat the same food every single day. So they get, particularly in the early days, the rations are provided by organisations like World Vision or World Food Programme. You, you get issued monthly rations, oil, wheat, rice, flour, things like that. That's the food you have. Now, over a few years, an economy does build up, markets do begin growing, and people supplement that food because they begin growing. If, they, if they're in the middle of it, they can, they can grow vegetables, so you can supplement that food. But largely you eat the same food over and over again for years. These are unworthy places for most human beings. Yeah. Not the, and, and they're refugees that live there, beautiful, remarkable, and they are incredibly resilient, but it's really a bit unworthy of them. And they would be there would be refugees that meet, fall in love, get married. Yeah, yeah, I know many of them. Well, I, I told you about this idea of the five hundred dollar. Remember, in the first episode, we talked about if you find an impossible problem, yeah, and you can't solve it, that we give you five hundred dollars to solve it. Yes. So what happened is, as that as that wave built, the refugees started saying, "What if we come up with an idea?" Yeah. Great idea. And then we thought, this is, by the way, is it again how it works, right? You go, let's just see. This is what I mean by, I'm going to look at this refugee camp in a new way. So the refugees, we well, have this $500 thing. <laughs> yeah, we have this $500 thing. 
They go, yeah, in the fa- you have this saying, in the face of the impossible, we can do the doable. Do you have this saying? Oh, they, repeat, they repeat it back they to you. They say this saying. We go, that's the exact saying. They go, we've heard about this because it's a pretty good saying. Yeah. In the face of the impossible, we do the doable. That's what was the saying. And they're like, we have doable things. And then we were like, you would have, like, great doable things. Who are experts on being refugees? <laughs> and I used to go, that's really obvious. It totally was not obvious for years. We were like, we thought we were the experts on being refugees. Like, refu- we know all about refugees. We're the experts on it. Then we're like, actually. Maybe the refugees are. They are, like, PhD level on being refugees. So then we go, you have ideas? Yeah, we have ideas. Like, we're, like, total experts at this. Yep. And then we go, okay, what's your idea? This is one related to your marriage. So they, they, so a group of the young ones get together, they come back and they go, we go, we've got an idea. They go, what's your idea? They go, we get married every weekend and look at around you. The whole place is brown. And it is. It's distinctive this way. It's all just brown. Yeah. And they go, terrible wedding photos. <laughs> <laughs> this would really happen. Terrible wedding photos. They have wedding photos. Because they get they fall in love they and do. they get married. And when you get married, do. what does everybody want to do? You're in your you're in your purple thing and you're in your all your gear. These are con- a lot of these are Congolese. Congolese, magnificent fashions. Yep. Purple tuxedos, hats, scarves, the shoes, the crocodile shoes, all this business, they're all there, splendid. And everywhere sucks to take a photo. So we said, What's your idea? They said, We want to create a park. And in the park, um, we will create. We will put grass down, and we will plant uh, plants and ro- flowers, and we'll put up little spots around it so that we can walk to this area and we take a photo, and then we walk to another area and we take a photo, and it will look like in this little area of a park we can get four or five different photos taken. And then we sat there and we thought, "You really are like experts on this being refugees." Because you know who had thought of that before then? No one. This one's a Rwanda camp. So the Rwanda camps were there for 20 years. Mm -hmm. No one had thought of this. Who thinks of such things? Refugees think of such things. So we built it. And so if you go to that refugee, and then we were like, that's such a good idea. Let's build this in every refugee camp. So we create these all over the place. Now everybody gets married every Saturday and every Sunday. They have nice pictures that they take. It's beautiful. It looks like an oasis, literally it an oasis. It looks like a little desert. oasis with little, has a little brick set out, a little bench, and then it has another area that's like a trellis. So, yes, refugees get married, they create a life, and uh, and if you give them a chance, they'll make it a worthy one. Beautiful. Daniel, we're going to wrap it up today. Uh, another episode down. Uh, so much more still to talk about over the coming weeks. Please follow along, subscribe on Apple and Spotify and follow Daniel on Instagram, Daniel Wordsworth and TikTok. A lot of the photos, uh, when Daniel refers to pictures, we'll endeavour to find those photos and publish them for you, whether it be on YouTube or on Instagram or TikTok. And uh, thanks very much for listening. Thanks. Thanks.